Good morning. The story I'm about to read is the story of the calling of Levi, who would later be named Matthew. Levi was a tax collector, and the story is found in the fifth chapter of, of Luke's gospel. And in this, in this story, it's found in a context where Jesus is healing the sick and calling disciples. And often in the midst of healing the sick and calling disciples, he finds himself confronted by religious leadership, the religious leadership in his community that confront him about the things that he's doing, what he's saying, and who he's recruiting. This is the story of one man's story who met Jesus and whose life was transformed by his invitation. And the story is relevant because this is also, it's also our story. Begins at verse 27, and Luke writes this. He says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now in this time it was customary that a uh, rabbi would enter into a community, a new uh, and popular rabbi would enter into a community, and then people from that community would invite the rabbi to their home, and they would invite guests and friends to come to meet the rabbi, where the rabbi would teach them, and the rabbi would be the guest of honor. So in this story, we see that Levi has met Jesus, made the decision to follow Jesus, and said, come to my home. I want you to meet my friends. I want you to teach them. However, as we hear in the story, this caused quite a controversy. It says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and with sinners? Now this is an interesting comment because if Jesus didn't eat with sinners, he would always be eating alone. Because everyone's a sinner. He then says to the religious leadership, Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You might also translate it to say, I have not come to call those who think they have it all put together and everything lined up just right and believe all the right things, but I've come to call people who are honest about their need call them into a new relationship with God so they can change their lives and change their hearts. This is the reading of the gospel, and God's people did say, you may be seated. You know, all, all great conversations and interesting things often seem to happen around the dinner table. A few years ago, I uh, traveled to Scotland, and I ended up being on the plane next to an older gentleman who was in his early 80s. He was from Edinburgh, and I had the chance to sit next to him, and you know, on a two-hour flight, uh, we were able to talk quite a bit, and it was a wonderful experience. I found out that his wife had died uh, a couple of years earlier, and he was really lonely, 
and was missing his wife, and it was sad for him. And we talked about that. We talked about his wife. We talked about his life. I asked him about what it was like to live in Edinburgh, and he told me some of the great places to visit while we were there. He told me that when he got to uh, Edinburgh, that his son was going to be picking him up at the airport and wanted to know if I wanted a ride. I was really nice, really generous. Didn't know, I'd never met this man before. Um, first time I'd really ever traveled like this by myself overseas. I was a little uncomfortable. I didn't really know where I was going. I told him where the place was that I'd be staying. He said, well, I know where that is. I can get you there. My son will be happy to pick you up. So here we are. I've got my bag, his bag. Here's his son. Comes and picks us both up. And suddenly, it's a little bitty car, too. Just It's like, I don't know, I was bigger than the car. And they, they, put me in the back, they put me in the back seat of the car and loaded the bags on top of me. It was really uncomfortable. And suddenly, you know, I have had like, I've been without sleep for like 30 hours. I wasn't thinking straight. And I remember thinking as we were driving through the streets of Edinburgh, I'm in the back seat of a car of somebody I've never met before in a foreign country. If something happens to me, my wife will never know. I'll just disappear from the face of the earth. So we, we pull up to a business where his son worked, and uh, his son got out of the car and said, hey, Dad, here's the keys. Now, that's where the adventure began because they obviously had not been in the car with him in some time because this man had no business at all driving. It was really scary. He was talking to me, and we were driving all over the road. We couldn't find the place we were going. He didn't really know where it was. He got a little bit confused. And it took like an hour to go, like 15 miles. We ended up there. It was great. I always say, why do I always find myself in these kind of great adventures? And um, then as I got out of the car to leave and got my bag out, he looked at me and said, hey, next week, you're going to be in town all week, he says, why don't you come to my house for dinner? I'd love to introduce my family to you. And I said, oh, thank you, but no thank you. I've got a lot of things going on this week. I'll be traveling this, this, and this. I will tell you, I really, ever since, I've regretted that decision ever since. Can't say why I said no, but I realized after traveling for a few weeks in Europe and looking at cathedrals and visiting historical sites that people are a lot more interesting than buildings. People are a lot more interesting than stained glass. And the opportunity to sit down and to talk to someone and to get to know someone, well, that would have been a special thing for me. Well, the one thing that I like about Jesus in this story is that Jesus, he seemed to share meals with all kinds of people. If you read Luke's gospel, you'll find that Luke's gospel has more meals that Jesus has with people than in any other God. There are 10 occasions where Jesus has dinner with other people. In fact, in one of them, he throws the dinner party and feeds 5,000 people with just a handful of fish and some bread. And then there are other parables where he talks about eating and who you should invite to your table. And it's really, it's really is an amazing story because in these stories we find that it's how Jesus got to know people. And he had dinner with just about everybody, rich people, poor people, all kinds of people, social outcasts, the ins, the outs, the marginalized, those who had a leg up on life. He even had dinner with his own disciples. Now I comment on this to tell you it always amazes me to somehow think about the idea that how the church could ever get the idea, how the church could ever get the idea that we could break bread together 
invite Jesus to be the guest of honor, and then they say, well, you're not welcome to take bread with us. If Jesus would eat dinner with Judas, and Jesus would eat dinner with Peter, if Jesus would eat dinner with tax collectors, and it's his table, you know, who are we to ever say, you can't come to the table because you're divorced or because you live this way or because you don't believe the right things. The only thing Jesus, he always invited people to his table. And it's just, I wonder sometimes how we could ever take something that was meant to be a moment of grace and instead turn it into a moment of judgment and fear and condemnation. I think when we read the story, we get the real picture about who Jesus is. Now, what I want you to get in this story is just the brazen audacity of Jesus. I don't want to put down the Pharisees and do to the Pharisees what the Pharisees did to Jesus by judging the Pharisees. Did you catch that? You have to understand that the Pharisees had good reason to criticize Jesus. Here's why. You think you don't like a tax collector? Sorry if you're a tax collector. You think you don't like? They did not like tax collectors. Let me explain to you why. Because in Israel, Israel was an occupied country. The Romans, the Romans ruled Israel. And so in order to collect taxes, they would hire Jewish people to collect the taxes because they knew their neighbors and they knew had the money in the well. So then a, a Jewish citizen would make a bid and say, I think I can collect this much money from this region. And whoever got the biggest bid got the, got the award and would be awarded the contract. Everything that they collected over and above what they agreed to collect was theirs to keep. Now the fact that tax collectors got wealthy and rich indicated one thing. That they exploited their neighbors and their friends. Now would you like that individual? First of all, you're upset with the idea that the Romans are taking taxes to build their army so they can occupy you. And now your neighbor is collecting money from you and he's getting wealthy off you while you're getting poorer and poorer. Well, each of these chief tax collectors, and by the way, Zacchaeus um, that we heard about a minute ago, was a chief tax collector. They would then go hire other tax collectors to work for them throughout the region. Levi was a small bit player. He would set up a little tax booth on the main road in and out of Capernaum. And there he would collect money and taxes on goods, and goods that came. So fabrics and fish and, and grain and animals. You brought it into town, you had to pay the toll, you had to pay the tax, you had to pay the tax man. Now this is what's interesting. Did you ever think about this? So Jesus calls James and John and Peter. What do they do for a living? They fished. Hmm. So guess who had, they had to meet every day when they brought their fish into town? Levi. And I think Peter, James, and John were probably okay with the fact that, hey, he called us to be his disciples. But he's going to call this guy? This guy, Levi? Nobody was happy with the idea that Jesus would be eating dinner with Levi, a tax collector. And to make matters worse, the name Levi has some significance to it. Levi, he was named after the tribe of the Levites. The Levites were the priestly tribe. They were the ones who had been appointed by God to be the priests of the people, to serve the people, to serve the people on behalf of God. So here was a person who had been appointed at birth to serve the people on behalf of God as a priest, but who instead had become a tax collector 
to exploit the people. Wow. Do you understand why this is a brazen act? The idea that Jesus would defy conventional norms, that Jesus would go to his house, and that he would then allow other people to come around the table to meet with him and to greet with him. Now here's something I wondered about as I read this story. Why would Levi even think it was okay to invite Jesus to his house for dinner? Because let's just be honest. Would you invite a religious person, an uppity-up religious person to your house for dinner without cleaning everything up first and putting away the beer? I don't know. You know what I mean. You know what I'm saying? I wondered about it. All these other rabbis, they would never ever consider inviting them to their house. What was it about Jesus that would allow him to, in, to be invited to their house? You know what I think? It's not earth-shattering. I think people genuinely liked him. I don't think he pretended to be better than other people. I think he was a likable person. Imagine that, the founder of our religion was a likable, enjoyable person, a person you want to be around, a person you want to know, a person who was interested in you. And I think it says a whole lot about Jesus that he would be invited to someone's home who was considered to be far away from God. I think one of the highest compliments that could ever be given to any Christian any Christian, is if people wanted us to come to their homes. But sometimes I don't think we would get invited to people's homes who may be far away from God because maybe we don't present Jesus the way that Jesus. You, you catch me? Because we come across as judgmental. We come across as condemning. Uh, we're not life-filled. Sometimes Christians, we don't look like we're having any fun. But Jesus was invited to his house because he was life-giving. It was because Jesus was offering Levi, something he needed. You know what it was? A joyful invitation to a new life. That's the essence of Jesus. That Jesus meets people where they are, embraces them where they are, and gives this joyful invitation to something different. He doesn't condemn them into the kingdom. He invites them into something new. And obviously at this point in his life, Levi, for whatever reason, gets up and leaves everything to follow this rabbi named Jesus because Jesus is offering him a different kind of life, a different way of living, a different way of being in the world. And he offered him this wonderful, joyful invitation. You see, when Jesus, you know what he was calling disciples? Do you know what he was looking for? Because in this whole story, he's, what's he doing? He's calling disciples. What's he looking for? He's not looking for perfection. He's just looking for honesty. If you look at all the people that Jesus called to be his followers and his disciples, they were people who just kind of honestly were able to admit their need for God and their desperation, their desperation for God. I think sometimes we, we get rather smug in our religion and, you know, sometimes we talk about those people. And we don't, we don't mean harm when we say it, like we're going to go help those people, those people on the other side of the track, those people. You know, we've invited those people to come to our church. Hey, look, those people are here this morning. The thing I want to point out to you from this story is that there's no such thing as those people. Who are those people? You're those people. We're all those people. And it's a huge mistake when our religion allows us to categorize people based on 
different things like those people, those people. We're all those people. Because as Greg Boyle said in a great book called Tattoos of Art, he says there's no such thing as us and them. And as I was reading this story this week and thinking about it, I was overwhelmed with this one idea. This one particular idea. If, it does, if, if we don't realize and understand that Jesus is scandalized and his reputation is ruined because he eats dinner with us, then maybe we have too a high opinion of ourselves. Let me see if I can say it a different way. I'm not sure it was completely understood. In other words, if we don't understand that Jesus' reputation is ruined because he eats dinner with us, then maybe we don't fully understand who we really, really, who we truly are. Because every one of us, we're, we're all the same. Everybody's the same. We're all broken in some way. We're all deficient in some way. We're all, but the same way, we're all beautiful in some way. We're all good in some way. It's not just that we're broken. It's also that we're beautiful. We're all so capable. Every single person stands the same before God. And whether we belong to a church or attend a church, it doesn't make any difference. There are no those people. Do you understand? I under, I, and Jesus' reputation is ruined because he eats dinner with us too. Just like every single person on this earth, there is no difference between us and them. I saw a movie last week, and actually it's not a great movie. I just said that because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spoil the end of it for you, so you won't want to watch it. Old movie was called The Soloist. Have you seen it? Raise your hand. Have you seen The Soloist? There's like two of us. Yeah. Okay. So the soloist is about this, this L.A. Times uh, newspaper reporter who wrote human interest stories. His name was Steve Lopez. It's a true story. One day, Steve Lopez is walking out of the L.A. Times building, and he hears this beautiful music. And he goes and he finds it, and he finds this very shabbily dressed man playing a violin with only two strings named Nathaniel Ayers. He's touched by the beauty of the music. And Nathaniel Ayers is confused, obviously confused, and obviously in the grips of some form of mental illness. He decides to do some research and finds out that he was a student at Juilliard and was once a prized cello player. But somehow or another had ended up in Los Angeles, homeless and living on the street and playing his violin. Well, the whole movie is about the friendship between these two men. And basically, it's Lopez up here trying to help this man down here. He's trying to get him a place to live. He's, he's trying to help him get some, some lessons. He helps him get a cello. He's trying to help him. He's trying to help. And it's always this relationship of him above him, him above him, him, those people. And the powerful part of this movie is what I loved about the movie is a simple message that Lopez finally realized there's no difference between the two of them. And the moment, the climax of this movie is when Lopez says to his girlfriend, he said, you know, I don't think I've been able to help him at all. I haven't been able to change anything about his life. In fact, he can't. He's still living on the street. He's done everything to help him, but he just can't help him. No matter what he does, he said, I can't fix him. And then he said to his girlfriend, but you know what? He's helped me. And I love this line. His girlfriend then says, maybe you're not supposed to fix him. 
Maybe you're just supposed to be his friend. Wow, that was just a really powerful insight to me. It sounds like this story to me in the sense that we're just all the same before God. And when I read this story, it reminds me of an important truth that I think that we must remember every time we walk into the sanctuary or anywhere in the world where Jesus is honored. But we are not here because we're privileged. We're here because we've been invited here. And who is the guest of honor? Every time we gather for worship, Jesus Christ is the guest of honor who sits at the head of this table. And I wonder sometimes if we take that for granted. I know I do. I wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes if we forget who is the guest of honor. Sometimes we think this is about us and about what I need and what you need. But we are his guest of honor. We are his followers. We have come here and we come to listen to him and to be taught for him and to sit at the table with him and to let him teach us. I think the most important thing that we can absolutely ever do then is to recognize that just like everybody else in the world, we need to be taught. We need to learn. We need to listen. I, I, I read this last week. There's a great book by John Pavlitz, and he's written a a book about how our table is big enough for everyone. And this is what he said. I just want to read it to you. He said, what if we changed our approach? What would the church look like if the first impression we gave outsiders was not one of judgment? And what if we were known for our compassion, our connection, our graciousness, our helpfulness, and our concern, rather than our separateness or our rules? And he says, we're going to all have to figure out how to do the difficult work of dealing with people that are different from us or we think are different from us or that we dislike. And I like this line. He says, we're going to have to stop creating false stories about people from a safe distance and get truer stories. Did you catch that? That's interesting, isn't it? We're going to have to find a way to offer an open hand instead of a clenched fist. We're going to need to be slow enough and to slow down long enough to really get to know people who may be different from us. People who are different from us socially, politically, theologically, who may even be offensive to us, who may even be our perceived enemies, so that we can look into their hearts and find their true humanity. And I would add, so that we can find our true humanity. And he says it may be in it may be buried in jagged, ugged layers of fear and grief and hopelessness and even hate, but it's always there, that humanity in other people. And he says this, hating people is always going to be easier than loving them because loving them means seeing them fully, hearing them, stepping into their skin as best we can and finding something worth embracing. I think that's beautiful. I think that's really a challenge. And I think about that. You know what I wonder? You know, I honestly wonder, I wonder if I can do that. I wonder if I can do that. I wonder if we can do that. And I have to ask myself, I wonder if we want to do that. You know what I think the key is? The key is understanding just how desperate we are ourselves. Do you know what I mean when I say that? I said it at the first service. I said, do you know what I mean when I say that? And somebody, somebody went, no, I don't understand what you mean by that. Let me see if I can explain it. The key to welcoming others and being grace-filled toward another person and trying to understand another person is basically coming to the conclusion how much I need God's love as much as the other person. 
that I am just as in need. I'm not better than anybody else. And the whole basis of our being able to love other people unconditionally is to realize how much I need that unconditional love for myself. Does that make sense to you? Say yes, Pastor Dave. Yes. So I end with this. If we think about what is the essence, what is the essence of being a Christian? What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it's following Jesus. You see, Levi's life was not working for him. And so Jesus offered him a different path and he took it. And his life was different and he became Matthew. Tax collector, gospel writer. And you know what I imagine? I imagine as I look around this congregation this morning that we all came from different places. But I imagine there's some of you who are here this morning, and you know what? It may just be that maybe life just isn't working for you right now. And maybe you're looking for a different path. Maybe you're looking for a different direction. A different way. I know some of us are. Let me point you to Jesus. Let me point you to Jesus who offers us a beautiful way of living in the world. A beautiful way of being in the world. The most whole, beautiful, and an understanding of God that can reach everyone that's magnificent. And I want to say to you, if you're looking for something different, that the same offer, the same offer he gave to Levi is the same offer that he's offering you today. 